Welcome to Pet Chat on 2NURFM. Greg Richard joined by Cheryl Shaw and Dr. Kimberly Earl. Great to see both of you. Thank you. Yes, lovely to be here. Excellent. What have you got lined up for us today? Well, I thought I'd talk about grass allergies in dogs. Right, because what's your brush today? It's a little bit of clover. And clover is one of those other things that can um, be a real irritant, not just from the, the plant itself, but those bees who sting the puppies when they're playing. Mm. Right. Mm. Okay. Well, guess not so lucky after all that clover, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> Most dogs find grass and lawn really, really inviting yep. and they'll go and roll in it and lay in it and rub their backs and unfortunately, even though they're enjoying it, if we see this happening, we do need to intervene because some dogs are so allergic to grasses, it's not funny. So it could be your cooch, your, your buffalo, your kaiku, the clover, but also there's another um, garden weed that sometimes takes over our lawn and part of our gardens as well and it's quite an obnoxious weed and it's called, uh, well it's now re been renamed, it was called Wandering Jew but now it's called Wandering Dude and it's a plant that makes dogs really, really itchy and no doubt you see this a lot in your practice. Yeah, it can cause a, um, a real hypersensitivity reaction when they come in contact with it. Yeah. So um, red skin, they often break out in welts and things like that. Yeah, mm. so one of the things when you, you're noticing your dog is looking really red, particularly on the underbelly or its feet if it's been walking on this particular plant, is to make sure that you um, that you get to the vet pretty quickly because they can give you things to help um, you know prevent this from getting worse. Sometimes you'll notice little pussy like pustules on the tummy. Mm -hmm. You'll notice ulcerated feet um, and sometimes hair loss. Even around the face can be quite red. And so, you know, they'll rub their face on these grasses and in, into the wandering um, dude. But we just need to make sure that we are minimising any contact they're having with grass. I've got standard poodles and my poodles have no allergies, thank goodness. But mine don't get exposed to grass. So uh, it's really one of those things. If you've got a dog that's got a short coat and it is rolling in that grass, there's more problem for that dog than there is, say, with my standard poodle. So it's really important that we are, number one, rinsing the dog. If you if you notice that the dog has been and laid in something like the this pesty weed, that you rinse the dog off, hose mm. it off and get it dry again. Then just mon you know monitor the skin. Is it getting red? Is there any swelling or anything that just doesn't look right? And then off to the vet because those products that you can um, get from the vet can very quickly minimise discomfort yeah, as well. We've got things that can reduce the inflammation and um, you know sometimes sometimes we actually need to prevent infection because they've irritated themselves. Self-trauma um, is really common if they've been scratching. So yeah, scratching and biting at themselves because yeah. that's doing that trauma. Yeah and, yeah and lots of people will tell me oh the dog's skin flared up like we mowed the grass the other day and then the dog you know you get a bit of um, loose grass on the on the surface and then the dogs sort of roll in that. Um, unfortunately for some dogs they are allergic to grasses and and plants that they don't actually need to come in physical contact with you know in terms of you don't have to walk on it so people will sometimes tell me well my dog doesn't even you know leave the backyard how mm -hmm. can it now be flaring up um, and if you look at a dog like mine who has what we call atopic dermatitis atopic dermatitis is essentially um, the doggy version of hay fever but instead of it coming out in their sinuses so humans who get hay fevers they you know you, you come in contact with and breathe in the pollens and they're just in the air but you don't physically see them you don't yes. sort of see that you're touching them um, atopic dermatitis for dogs is that they're coming in contact with allergens the same way a hay fever um, sufferer human is um, and instead of it coming out as a respiratory you know sort of symptom they're not getting stuffy and sneezy um, it comes out in their skin 
And that's actually the most common kind of allergies that we see. So when people sort of tell me, nothing's changed in the backyard, the dog's not been anywhere, why is it now starting to have all these skin symptoms? We have to have this big conversation about the fact that you can't control what pollens are in the air, what dust molds, you know, yep. what insects, those sorts of things. And so my dog, who has been to um, a dermatology, a veterinary dermatologist, been to a specialist, she had um, skin allergy and blood allergy testing. And of the... 72 allergens they tested her for. She's allergic to 38 of them. We're, we're winning with this one. <laughs> but the, a, the, a large proportion of them are um, grasses, paspalum, and um, all of the melaleuca plants. So all of the pollens that we get, wattles. Yeah, you know, wattles August comes is, around, wattles. Yeah. There's what You can smell it as you're walking, you know, mm. it's coming out of people's gardens and things like that. And my dog doesn't actually physically need to come in contact with the bush or the plant. She just needs to be in the same airspace as those plants and they're enough to sort of make her, Trigger. you know, flare up. And so statistically, atopic dermatitis is the most common kind of allergy that we see in dogs. Um, and it typically comes up in a dog who is around two to five years of age. So I've seen it in dogs as young as, let's say, nine to 18 months of age. Mine was probably about... 14 months when she really started, you know, to experience symptoms. Um, and sometimes as old as, you know, six or seven years of age. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things that, unfortunately, allergic skin disease is really, really common in our pets. It's highly frustrating. Um, but the wandering dude um, toxicity or... or sensitivity you're talking about is what we'd call a contact allergy yes. where the dogs are physically coming in contact with the plant yeah. the plant is irritating their skin um, and so it's the, the nice thing about that is you can actually control that I mean it's a bit of work you're gonna have to go through your garden go through your lawn pull it all out um, but we can actually really ease the dogs you know discomfort and suffering and, and future flare-ups that way yeah so, so it's just when sorry the yeah. when dogs do roll around in grass yeah mm -hmm. bird poo is the occasional mm -hmm issue especially if it's crow because it actually reeks <laughs> yeah i mean it's not problematic from an allergy sort of standpoint yep. and i live in a house with two parrots and my dog just she goes around and she cleans up the floor or the birds have pooped on the floor yep. um she thinks that's quite fine um it can be stinky but yeah i mean seagull poo would be the worst my dog goes to the beach and just goes and finds whatever seagull poo she can lying on the ground and rolls in it which is disgusting but then she's going to go for a swim so it doesn't oh, matter that I much i don't know a crow Crow, is, is yeah. Be up there, Anything but. that's like a carrion eater, right? Like, or or that's um, that meat eater. Yep. Those sorts of birds have very stinky sort of poo. I I don't like tawny frogmouth poo. They're quite stinky as well. Um, they eat, you know, insects okay. and small rodents and bugs and things too. Right, sorry for the people eating their lunch. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah. The mm. other thing with grasses too, apart from the allergies, a lot of a lot of grasses have seeds that can enter yes. into the dog's skin yeah. as well. So, you know, trying to prevent them from too much contact with the grass can be a, a good thing to avoid those grass seeds. Yeah. And right. we find that most often when dogs go running through. Um, tall grasses, you know, mm. so you let them find a good safe off leash area, you let them off and they go bounding through the tall grasses and um, usually they've got those little seed heads on them. We'll find grass seeds up noses, um, mm. in the um, conjunctival folds of the eyes, we get them down ears, those ones are really problematic. Sometimes we even get them just buried in the skin. Some of those grass seeds will sort of work their way in. Um, I've seen them in dogs, um, you know, where they come out through the neck, but the dogs have actually ingested them, so they've 
sort of gone into the mouth, maybe not ingested them, but like they've gone into the mouth, they've been biting at the, you know, as the open mouth, they're ro yeah. running and bouncing through the, um, so the weeds, the grass seed penetrates into the mouth comes or migrates through the neck and you get this abscess underneath the throat or underneath the jaw. It's a really common um, thing that we see. Mm. Yeah, it's tricky. Mm. So keep your lawn short as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah just be mindful. I mean, I, I'm always, you know, warning owners, if the dog's been going in long grass and now you're coughing or they're coughing, um, they're shaking their head, you know, they've got a mucky eye, we want to, you know, see because they've probably got a foreign body from that grass somewhere. So we talked about well, grass and clover before, mm -hmm. but you also with rabbits as well, it can be an issue. Yeah, so um, clover in particular. So we've got lots of people who have rabbits. They're indoor, outdoor rabbits. Um, when they're outside, they put them on the grass. And we've had some cases recently where, because we've had lots of rain and there's some lush grass growing again, um, where people will put the little rabbit hutch over the biggest patch of clover. Uh, and oftentimes these are rabbits who are predominantly living on hay and maybe a small amount of pellets and some leafy grass greens and things like that um, and clover if you're a rabbit is super 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 tasty it's like putting a big bowl of ice cream in front of me um, <laughs> and so they eat it and they eat every little morsel of it and unfortunately clover is one of those um, sort of plants that's really really rich and it's actually quite high in protein if you're a if you're a herbivorous animal um, clover is really high in protein and we can get problems with rabbits developing um, bloat. Um, we can get rab problems with rabbits who almost get like an over an overload of calories and, and things like that. It can cause some tummy upset, some diarrhea, um, things like that. So I just, you know, um, for people who have rabbits when they're outside and they sort of go, oh, there's a big patch of clover. Um, we want to just put a portion of the hutch over a small corner of the clover and let these guys make sure they're still eating their hay, something that's got a little bit more fiber, a little bit more roughage, because it's just too rich for them and it can cause a lot of upset yep. stomach. Um, and bloat in rabbits can be really tricky to, um, particularly frothy bloat that you'll get from um, from that clover can be really tricky to um, manage. So yeah, just be careful with your with your rabbits outside. Right, guinea pigs too. I was just about to ask that. Would that yeah. be the same for guinea, guinea pigs, pigs as well? Guinea pigs too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, everybody loves clover, but it's not a big deal if you're picking a little handful and putting it in their um, area, or if they've, you know, you're just putting it over like a small patch. Um, but yeah, if you just sort of go, ooh, here, like here's mm. the whole big patch, let's have that. Yeah. So, mm. birds really like clover though. You can pick clover, um, put it into, you know, if you've got canaries, budgies, finches, those sorts of things, they'll enjoy the clover. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah. just thought I just gave them grass seed and stuff, but you can that throw too. In. Yeah, yeah, you can put a bit of clover in the little um, flowers. Some of the birds will like to eat the little, you know, little flower um, heads. So yeah, mm. mine love it. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Oh, there you go, something Good new every greens. day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bet Chat on 2 and URFM. And we've got Carmel from Berkeley Vale, and she's got a 14-year-old Maltese cross that's got lumps on her neck. Carmel. Hello. Hi, tell us about your dog. What's happening there? Okay, so I noticed yesterday he's been unwell, um, but he has had, um, and I've, he's only started getting these lumps, but yesterday I noticed more predominantly, he had one on his neck. Mm -hmm. um, now, the vet seems to think it could be lymphoma, lymph something or other. Lymphoma, yeah. Yeah, which he's booked in for a biopsy next week. Okay. But um, this one on his neck was more predominant. But then saying that, he was also sick and vomiting yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and I gave him some Dansetron at midnight last night, which seemed to settle his tummy down. Yep. Um, but saying that he had his flea treatment yesterday at NextGuard. So I'm a little bit concerned because 
he's been my rock and I don't want to put him down. Yep. But at the same time, I don't want the vet to just brush me off and say to me, oh, you know, because um, we normally go to Green Cross vet. Yep. Um, so where do so, I go, you know? Like, what do yeah. I do? Like, he's got an appetite. Yep. But... You know, um, he's just got very sensitive tummy and, you know, I, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm just, my, my head's all over the place. Sure. And like, so the, I don't want to put him down, you know. No. Well, I mean, he's, hopefully he's not at that point yet. Um, did the Odansetron come from your vet? No, that came from me. Okay. My medication. So, yeah. Because so, I mean. would have said to me, I'll just let him ride it out. And I'm like, well. Yeah, I, I would hope that they wouldn't because we use Ondansetron a lot um, in our, you know, vomiting patients. I guess my concern with a little old dog like that is that Maltese dogs aren't very big. Um, the tendency towards dehydration happens really quickly and we don't want to, um, you know, wait too long for them to get dehydrated because that then can lead to other problems like kidney disease, things like that. And particularly if we've got a procedure booked for next week, I wouldn't hesitate to contact your vet again and say, listen, since we spoke yesterday or booked this in you know he's now not vomiting can we you know can we start the process any sooner at least you know in our clinic we would often um, look at taking some pre-anesthetic blood work so we know where things are at and that's from from a standpoint of a vomiting dog um, that's never going to hurt to do a couple days in advance of a um, you know of a biopsy procedure and okay. and if if we are vomiting um, there's lots of things that they can do to try to help with that and it might even be that um, they sort of say you know let's let's get into hospital a couple of days early, get some fluids on board, make sure that um, we're setting this patient up really well um, for its, you know, surgery and anaesthetic next week. Um, and the lumps have just come up really suddenly, have they? Um, look, we noticed when he had a pinched nerve um, probably about 12 months ago, mm -hmm. was, she noticed that they were coming up after he had this pinched yeah. nerve episode. Yeah. But this one on his neck I noticed yesterday... It, it was, it come out of nowhere. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I'm like, okay. Um, and and things yeah. like lymphoma can change really, really rapidly. So, you know, sometimes, like, it's usually a lymph node that's enlarged if it's lymphoma. Um, and so they can sort of come up and go down and come up and go down. Um, but, you know, to be honest, at the moment, my bigger concern would be the fact that the dog is vomiting and not feeling very good. And so I would just touch base with them again and say, listen, the clinical picture's changed a little bit. I'm really worried. Does definitely doesn't mean that they're going to counsel you for euthanasia. Um, you know, we certainly... And, and if that's if that is the way, then get a second opinion, um, yep. because you know just because we're fourteen doesn't mean we're ready for you know ready for the end. Um, there's no. lots of things we can do yet to hopefully, depending on what other things they find. Um, but I would say you know go in just chat, chat with them and say things have changed. We're not holding down any food. What can we do to make this dog feel better? You know I'm really worried. And I think if you say I'm really worried about how my dog is doing, what else can we do to make it feel better? Um, they'll they'll offer you lots of different things. Okay. Uh, that sounds like a plan. All Thank right. you very much. Good luck, Carmel. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. It is Pet Chat, 49216216. We did get an email a bit earlier as well from Mark. He's got a bit of an issue with his Jack Russell Terrier. Okay. Licking his feet and it's turning brown apparently. <laughs> yeah. So when dogs lick their feet, um, so there's a few different things here. When dog licks their, dogs lick their feet, usually, not always, but usually it's that there's some irritation happening around the feet underneath um, the pads, you know, in between the toes and things like that. It actually goes back really well to this is one of the things we see when we've got allergic skin disease. Um, we do get some dogs who will lick their feet 
because it's a bit of an anxiety sort of thing, a self-soothing thing. But often that is, it started with some sort of a skin irritation. And dogs, unfortunately, when they lick themselves, when they have a wound or an irritation and they lick themselves, they make it worse. They don't make it better. That's a, a, an old wives' tale. People used to say, and I hear it all the time in clinic, well, you shouldn't let a cat lick their wounds, but a dog's mouth is clean. <laughs> Seriously, that is not the case. Don't let them lick a wound. Um, so the moisture, so when a dog is licking, they're doing that because it's irritated because it's sore. What they then do is they inoculate any of the bacteria that they do have in their mouth into the skin, and then the saliva from their mouth keeps the skin moist. And what do bacteria like? They like a really warm, moist environment, which those feet are perfect for. When we get the brown staining, that's usually a combination of porphyrin, which is iron pigment from the saliva. Um, so a lot of times I can look at a little dog, a little white dog will walk into my consult room and I can see that they've been licking their feet because they've got those little red brown sort of staining between their toes. Um, and then sometimes the other thing that happens is that all those moist um, hours spent with, you know, the saliva there and it's hot and the feet, dogs sweat through their feet. So those are always moist. Um, they develop a yeast infection and yeast often shows up as being brown as well. So he could have a couple different things going on, but most likely what we would say is if you haven't been seen by a vet, go to the vet and have a, um, a checkup. Um, even at home though, things we can do, particularly when it's been raining and the ground is really wet, we'll find that some dogs' feet start to get irritated because they're, they're constantly wet. So when you bring your dog in from outside, take a little towel and dry off their bottoms of their feet, dry in between their toes. If you have um, a dog that's had previous skin issues, you can use some of their medicated shampoo um, and rub that into the feet. Um, we want to let it sit usually for five to ten minutes, depending on the brand, depending on the package instructions. So follow those and then rinse them and again dry the feet. And try to discourage your dog from licking at the feet because unfortunately um, they're making it worse. So my dog tends to do this when her skin is flaring up. Um, and we have a cone of shame, shame at home for her um, that she has to wear intermittently. And I'll, you know, spend a few days um, once or twice a day, you know, washing her feet, drying her feet. Um, sometimes if you've if you've been to the vet, you might get a nice anti-inflammatory cream that you can rub in there as well. Um, but she's got to wear the cone of shame for three to five days till the flare up sort of settles down. All right. And... Don't let the dogs lick your wounds as well, I guess, because that <laughs> yeah. does, doesn't yeah, feel totally. Like. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, yeah. we get, I mean, the whole reason we have cones of shame is because dogs like to lick their wounds um, and they will cause an infection in the wound. So that whole adage about, you know, dog mouths are clean, cat mouths are dirty. Yep. Cat mouths are dirtier, but dog mouths are pretty dirty. <laughs> okay, so that's a, a big myth, that clean wounds. I don't know, where's that yeah. from? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, because that's what wild dogs do, right? Mm. And they don't all die from superficial wounds. Um, but if you don't let the dog lick the wound, the wound heals so much faster and so much better. <laughs> so if I've got to cut my arm, don't let my dog... Don't let your dog lick it. Yeah, okay. a nice, you know, wash with some antiseptic and then don't lick it yourself either. Because <laughs> even your mouth isn't clean enough to be licking wounds. <laughs> Partially offended. It's Pet Chat on 2URFM 103.7. And just wrapping up for this week, our dog and cat of the week. First talk with our dog, it's a German Shepherd, 11-week-old German Shepherd called Harley. At this stage, he seems to be pretty easygoing. 
Well, he's a puppy. So, yeah. like, puppies are pretty easygoing. They're lots and lots of work. They're very energetic. Um, so this is a, a German Shepherd puppy. So he's really going to have to go to a home that, um, you know, knows about German Shepherds, large breed dogs. But he's a puppy, so he's kind of like a clean slate at this stage. Yeah. He's 11 weeks old, so he's the perfect time to go to a new family. He's in um, a foster family that sounds like he's got other dogs around, which is really good. Um, but And he also gets along well with puppies and older dogs. They're happy to have him go to a home um, that's got older children. So the suggestion here is eight years of age. Um, certainly, you know, like 10 to 12 years of age is not a bad idea either. Um, German Shepherds are really, really smart dogs, um, but they need a careful handler and they need somebody who's not probably a first time, you know, dog owner. Yep, they're, okay. they're, they, they are a little bit um, persnickety sometimes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, and you need somebody who's going to be around, somebody who's going to be at home quite a lot, um, who's, you know, good with training and, you know, up to date with um, positive reinforcement methods. Um, he's going to be a big dog, so he needs a bit of space. He's going to need a, um, a yard that's got a, um, a good sturdy fence as well. So, um, but if you're in the market for a large breed, you know, dog, um, this one looks like he's, you know, pretty good. You said before we just off air with training German Shepherds, is probably more important than training other dogs or...? Uh, I'm not the same, not training all dogs is not. I mean, all, all, yeah, training all dogs, but but German shepherds in particular. I mean, they're very trainable, right? But there's a reason that we use them for you know police dogs and sniffer dogs and those sorts of things. Yep. Um, so and and they have the potential to become more problematic than say, um, you know, a, I don't know, a poodle or. Yep. Golden Retriever or Labrador, you know, their their nature is um, a little bit different. And we never want to judge a dog by its breed. You know, we always talk about, you know, judging the individual dog. Yep. Um, but let's just say that you can ruin a German Shepherd more easily than you can ruin a Labrador if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Would and there, there are some good clubs that you can go mm. to for German Shepherds. They op operate at Hillsborough and you can go one night a week or on a, on a Sunday, yeah. I think it is. But you know, going along to those breed-specific training is really important. You learn a lot from those people who understand mm. those breeds. You know, you just can't have this puppy and just do puppy school. You need to do yep. a lot more with Work. this sort yep. of yep. breed of dog. Yeah, sure. So yep. Lovely dogs. Lovely dogs, but... Yep. Need a bit of training. Yep, mm. absolutely. Sometimes smart dogs are harder than dumb dogs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> like to be the owner of a smart dog takes a little bit more work than yeah. to be the owner of a dog right. who's just very lackadaisical and is just going to go, hoody, 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 yeah. hoody, here's my life, I'm happy. Yeah. No, so. well, they need so much more stimulation and <laughs> yeah, they need yeah, they direction need to be, and yeah, guidance and yeah, all yeah. of that. So. Okay, there you go. Uh, we've got a cat as well, which is Sam, who's one year old, black and white. And seems to be quite popular at the moment, or a good, or a good-looking cat by the description. Yeah, he's lovely. Um, listen, cats—you know—you can't go wrong with a black and white cat. They're um, got lots of personality. They—they're yeah. kind of cute looking, and um, this guy's nice and young. Um, doesn't say what does it say? He exudes an air of wisdom and confidence, <laughs> playful and energetic. So, um, looks like a great cat. Uh, doesn't say, does it say? Oh, yeah. Uh, he should be fine with children with a slow and patient introduction. So, probably slightly older children again, um, but doesn't seem to like dogs or other cats. So, maybe if you don't have any other um, pets and you're looking to introduce a, a first time pets, cats can be fairly. Um, accommodating and fairly easy. So um, think about that for, for Sam. I like that he exudes 
Uh, it's wisdom, wisdom and confidence. Yes, it's playful old, and energetic. Sounds like he's going to be a wise old cat when he's older. <laughs> he, he might very. says he can hide and pounce on you as you walk past. I mean, that's pretty typical kitten behavior. Um, so, yeah. And then he loves nothing more than curling up on a human's lap for a cozy nap. So that sounds really good. All right. If you like more information <laughs> about our dog and cat of the week, just head to wrfm.com.au forward slash pet chat. Pet chat. And then make your way to the dog and cat of the week. Got about just a minute to go, guys. Anything else you want to bring up before you mosey off for another week? Oh, I don't know. What have we got happening this week? You were talking about going. Well, it's next week. Is the is the show? I'm going to get all yeah. like excited about going to the Newcastle show. Go and see some interesting poultry and <laughs> other animals, farm animals. <laughs> Lots of other animals options. Lots of options there. Excellent. Well, looking forward to that next week Newcastle show starting on Friday. Dr. Kimberly and Cheryl Shaw, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Might see you both again next week. I'm uh, back. I don't think I am. I think I'm off for a few weeks. Okay. Mm. Oh, okay. We'll just, I'll see you next week, Cheryl. Okay. No worries. <laughs> see you next time, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.